0: You are listening to the forge leadership podcast forge leadership network mentors connects and equips young conservatives to lead in politics culture and business for more information or to get involved with forge please visit forgeleadership.org all right i'm thrilled to introduce you to, to lynn harsh lynn is the vice president of strategy for the State Policy Network. State Policy Network, most of you met, or all of you met Sarah Keenan this summer in Columbus. She spoke about how to learn from failure, I think was her Forge talk, our our version of TED Talks during our, our Forge summit. And so you also heard a little bit about SPN. State Policy Network is one of our partners, our sponsor organizations, and we've been, they've been a wonderful blessing to us. And in large part, thanks to Lynn. She's uh, really invested in sees the vision of forge and really invested in, in my life and career already in and forge and, and Jeremiah and I attended their annual meeting, which is a great conference last year in Colorado Springs. That's where he beat me in the ax throwing contest. Oh,
1: but, I'm so yeah. jealous. I didn't get to do that.
0: You didn't get to do You set up your own conference. You didn't get to I do that. I know. I hardly ever get to go to my
1: own <laughs> stuff, but yeah.
0: <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. The, uh, the, the, yeah. Shocker that the, man who's been deployed twice in his life beat me in a in a, in a He-Man strength contest. Uh, so <laughs> I would have been more accurate with a seven iron, I think. Anyway, Lynn, thanks for, for joining us. Your career has, just to give the students a little bit of background, you you co-founded um, and were the, the CEO of Washington State's Freedom Foundation, where you guys led a number of initiatives, uh, litigation, game-changing research, and, and you've authored more than 200 op-eds, I, I think I have that number, and and have been just a passionate proponent of a free society and in helping state think tanks like the Freedom Foundation uh, nationally through your work with SPN. So students, SPN is, and Lynn, you can describe it. I, I like to say kind of the hub or the equipper of all of our state-based free market, limited government, you know, pro-liberty think tanks and organizations throughout all the states. So I'm sure Lynn might tell you a little bit about that, but I've asked her to speak with you about how to lead and how to kind of create and innovate in times of disruption. Very timely, Uh, of course. So, Lynn, thanks for being with us from beautiful Bend, Oregon.
1: Oh, well, you're very welcome. So, leadership always requires character and certain competencies, and whether those elements are real in a person or how deeply they attach themselves are on great display in these times of uncertainty. They're tested in a crisis. And they're also built faster in a crisis. And leadership is really stewardship. And this is something that my late father-in-law really drilled into those of us who were seeking to follow our higher, highest commander and in, in his intent in our civic life. So those of us who agree to this calling in whatever form, we also agree to the responsibility that goes with it.
0: And right now,
1: people are desperately looking for trusted leaders. Um, We have an extraordinary opportunity to help shape the future. And it's even more so with you, those of you who are joining us today, because you and all the peers in your age bracket are not only forming your own values right now and what that means, But you actually have more potential power to shape the future in the next decade than I do. And this is why when a colleague of mine said today to me, look, your day started at 3.30 this morning, as I joked around, I don't even know for sure if I comb my hair today. Maybe you should put this call off. I just said, no, this this is really, really important. Anyway, so here we are, we're about to build some new muscle in this particular, I call it a leadership gym, and it's a gym we didn't choose. I I think it's providential, but we nonetheless, we didn't choose it. And so I want to give you a sense of at least one way that I think we can go about it, just one way. And there are multiple ways you can approach this. And today, I'm going to talk about four different, what I call core competencies. But you, there are dozens for leaders, dozens. So you might take this model and then do some research on your own and figure out something that works better for you. But it's interesting that we have, all of us have a finite amount of willpower. We have no more probably than 75 decisions that we can make well in any given day. And so what it really comes back to because our willpower is going to be depleted fast and we we have more decisions. I mean, those are decisions from you know what we're going to wear in the day, to what we're going to eat to the bigger things of our family and our lives. So we have to build some kind of systems for ourselves and a way of thinking and a way of behaving habits, if you will, that get us through both the good times and the bad times. And I call these core because they're important no matter what. They're important in the very best of times you're going to have in your life. And they're important in these very difficult times where we're trying to figure out what's going on. They are core. And they're going to work anywhere in life. They're going to provide you greater opportunity. Now, I'm going to talk about four. But frankly, I imagine most, most of you on this call could do some research and figure out a couple more that maybe might replace some of these that you'd rather. But here's a systems way you can think about it. So a competency is, uh, it shows up everywhere in our lives. It's knowledge that we translate to behavior, and it shows up everywhere. It shows up in our family. It shows up at work. It shows up when we're alone. It shows up in good times and bad times. So again, it's knowledge that we have gained, experiences that we have learned, sometimes from home, sometimes through brutal practice on our own. Uh, those of you have been in the military, you understand about that. <laughs> And it translates to our behavior. And I'm going to recommend four of them today that work, I think, from parenting to running a company to serving an elected office and everything in between. First, important is to identify them, whatever ones you want to master, build them, and then do master them. So as I move through this short list, I'd like to ask you what jumps out at you? What's special for you in this? Or maybe something is adjacent that you think you might want to pursue? because we cannot do this all at once. Please don't pick more than one thing to work on because it's just it's too hard. We can't do it. We don't, you know, we end up with selection bias. We end up with vanity metrics. It doesn't work. So I'll name each one now and I'm going to stop at the end of each one when I walk through them for questions. So they are judgment, self-management, Opportunity thinking, and one that might surprise you that's actually, I think, more important than all the others, and that's curiosity. Now, here's why it may seem odd, but here's how it shows up in our lives or not in a leader's life. A leader, a curious leader, wants to know how things really are. They want to be at the front end of reality. They don't hide behind fear, even though they feel it. They address it, they focus it, they don't hide behind it. And neither do they use optimism as a screen for any news they don't want to hear. And they don't like vanity metrics. I talked about that a little bit. And I'll tell you, I had an example yesterday when a lawmaker, I don't, this person doesn't know me very well. They probably wouldn't have done this, but thought I'd be very impressed by the number of bills she's passed. That doesn't impress me at all. And I was trying to be kind about it, but that's a vanity metric. The number of bills you pass tells you nothing about the quality of what comes what went into those bills, the making of the bill and what comes out on the other end for those who she serves. We do this sometimes on Facebook or a number of likes or when we develop a program or an opportunity and we don't do rigorous evaluation because it we don't even we don't know how to do it or we don't want to do it. But we can't better serve others unless we're curious about the way things really are. And here's the thing. It doesn't spring from a critical spirit. That's backwards. It springs from humility. If you're a curious person, you're a learner, not a teller. You're a discoverer, not a reciter. And this matters a lot because leaders cannot delegate vision. And I can't, I can't underscore that enough. Leaders cannot delegate vision. This is the true whether you're, it's in your home or whether it's in your workplace or whether you are developing students on cam- on a campus or a project that you're leading the vision belongs to the leader now if you're a curious person you want to get a lot of input to help you craft that vision you're going to lean in you're going to ask questions you're going to shape and reshape the vision through the lens of what you learn and you're going to evaluate the results through the lens of truth and what i like to say to the little kids I'm around, those little beautiful children on that we live on this property is that you want to get to the point where you have such a hunger for the truth that when you don't get it, you feel uncomfortable. You feel miserable. So this is one of the very first things and a characteristic that runs all the way through it is humility. Now, how does this work? First of all, If you're going to build a competency, it's like weights in a gym. Leadership, go back to the leadership gym. You gain knowledge. You figure out what you're supposed to do against what you need to do. And you repeat it over and over and over and over each time with some increasing difficulty so you can gain mastery. So how might you do this? Well, we humans make mo- we make a lot of assumptions in, in our daily life we make huge assumptions when we develop programs and projects and when we decide what we how we think about people and at our very best according to about 20 years of good neurological research we in industrial psychological research we probably only get it right about 40% of the time because we're not curious enough we don't gather information and Enough information to make a decision. Now, we're never going to have all we want. We're never going to have enough. But what we possess right now is surely not enough. So we have to get in the habit of really loving to learn, leaning in and asking questions. So one of the things you might do is challenge your assumptions. Build an action plan and have other people help you do this because we don't see them in ourselves usually. Build an action plan to recognize and challenge your own biases and assumptions, Those logical fallacies you have. If any of you are in debate or law school, you, you know this because you practice this. Learn to love finding the truth, the discovery, more than the comfort and familiarity of what you already know. Let me give you some examples. Most people in our country think that the number of chronically poor people has increased, not only in America, but in the world. That is not true been declining for some time most people think violent crime has risen because 24/ 7 news we see it we feel it it's all around us not true violent crime has decreased most people and this is they'll show you my bias <laughs> most people think government is the most efficient distributor of wealth during most occasions on most during most times in history well we have hundreds of years of history to show that's not true and human behavior to show that's not true Most people think that an overheated economy is what causes inflation. Well, that's not true. So we have to challenge what we think is true and lean into it. Now, again, it's not from a cynical spirit. It's not because we don't think we have any truth. It's that at our very best, our brain doesn't have enough knowledge, enough information, enough connections to make our assumptions the best they can be. So that's one one thing learn how to seek solution-oriented feedback. If you're somebody who finds yourself either in personal situations, professional situations, project situations where you need to create solutions, create a plan where you can actually seek and lean into creating solution-oriented feedback. And this is especially important for those of you who feel pretty confident most of the time. Good leaders actually One of the challenges a good leader has, until you learn to lean into being a curious person and managing yourself, one of the greatest challenges is that, you know, we're pretty confident. We want to go get something done. We have a plan. Let's go do it. And so if you're a person like that, you'll want to maybe build some muscles for seeking solution-oriented feedback. Create higher order feedback loops, things that get into the meat of what you're trying to do. If you have a difficult but important relationship, you might you might try it there. So again, the value is find something in your life when it comes to curiosity. If this is if this is what you want to tackle, and ask yourself how might I build a plan to be curious? It might even be reading and studying information outside of your specialty so you can learn something new. That discomfort, the struggle, our brain neurologically is wired. The need struggle in order to get anywhere close to mastery. Good leaders, we need to learn to increase our success rate in making complex decisions and assessing risk. And there are strategies and tools for this. So at the end of the day, you still have to make a call, and you're never going to have all the information you you need or want. But if you have learned how to do first principles reasoning or axioms, for example, it will really help you. So if you haven't studied that yet in school or had it life or life experience, of first principles reasoning, or how to get to an axiom, dive into that. That's what drives innovation and the best decision making. What you're doing is taking these complex challenges or even semi-complex challenges And you're building. You're you're breaking it down to the simplest fundamentals possible, the basic truths, and then you reason and build from there. And you're never going to have them all. All you need at once. You just have to have enough. And you're not ever. You're not always going to be right. And so I tell people up front when I'm working on a project: Look, I'm going to give you the very best judgment I have, and I'm going to seek wisdom from other people. At the end of the day, here's the. Here are the deliverables that I think I can meet. But here are the few variables, I can't control these variables. So, you know, tell me, are you okay with that? Is that a risk you you can manage? And risk management is a huge part of this. So learn to study the first principles reasoning, studying the difference between analogy and actually in physics, for example, where you actually break it into the lowest possible reducible element of truth that you understand. And then learn to make comparisons and connections, learn to synthesize. And I, you know what, I, I discovered pretty quickly after I was challenged to do this when I was, I think I think I was about 24 when this challenge first came my way, my radar went way up. And I was absorbing information differently, because I had some outcomes in mind. And I was analyzing it differently. And I was calling people and reading things differently to, to get down to the The basic level, the most basic level I could. Here's an example of that. And this is like, this is a for-profit example that I'm going to use twice here and another one too. Elon Musk decided he wanted to build a rocket. Oh, you know, who doesn't want to build a rocket? Well, I don't know. I don't, I'm not confident, but he wanted to build a rocket. So he asked first if it was reasonable and the reasonable part for him came in the trade-offs. For the amount of, of resources, time, money, And opportunity cost that I'm going to put into this is, am I likely to get something out on the other end that I want? Is this a good trade-off? He looked at the value of the necessary materials on the commodity market, all the materials that went into a rocket. And to his surprise, and he talks about this in a TED Talk, I think you you can probably look it up. He discovered it was less than 2% of of the final cost, the finished product cost. So then he looked at scientific testing and labor costs, and his judgment at that point, again, we're talking about judgment, was that it was worth the risk for what he wanted to get on the other end, and SpaceX was born. Now, one can argue with his judgment on that, but that's how he came to it. He broke it down to the the least common factors he could, to to the basics, and then build up from there. Then within four years, if I remember correctly, I think it was four years, it might have been three and a half, he cut the cost of rocket production by 10 10 times, and he still made a profit. And so he was looking for a more efficient and creative solution than what existed. Now, I'm going to use this again in a minute on opportunity thinking to show how some of it backfired a little bit, but here we are at this point in time needing a lot of better ways to do important things from our communities and our homes all the way up to the federal government. And we won't get there. We won't be able to have the, make those decisions if we don't learn to evaluate the complex to medium complex decisions and assess our risk. So how might we do that? Well, if you're conflict averse, you should probably build something in your life, again, active practice, where you can resolve a conflict by design, you're going to lean into it. And you're probably going to have to get some help to do this if you're conflict-averse. You, and for everybody, select a tough problem that needs a solution. It could be personal, professional, political. And ask yourself, at the very core, what are we talking about with this problem that needs to be solved? What problem are we trying to solve? And can we do something besides the binary decision? Because the binary decision is usually about 50% accurate. As soon as you can increase the odds for that and not making it binary, not making it just A versus B, then your odds of being better informed and right go up. Challenge yourself to look beyond the norm and the conventional sources to get information and to assess risk. So lean into it. If judgment is what you want, if this is a core competency you want, then you need to pick something that's not easy and practice looking uh, looking for ways and get some help on boiling this down to its essentials, the axioms. And then build up from there, build a plan to address this. You can start small and then add complexity to it, which if you're in the marketplace, in the workplace, you're getting, that's going to be an opportunity that you're going to be afforded all the time. The third is to be opportunity minded. Now, this sounds kind of obvious, but it's not uh, easy for most people. And in reality, it's not. And this means that we're going to gather insight on surrounding uh, strategic, uh, political and social conditions. And we might enlarge that a little bit, but for sure, strategic, political and social conditions. We're going to look at our resources, and we're going to figure out ways to use them to maximum advantage to increase our influence to solve whatever problem we're going for in a non-manipulative manner. So we're looking for insight here, and that does not happen by looking at today. Now, here's something about leaders. Here's an axiom for leaders. Leaders do not operate today backwards. They don't even operate in today. They operate in a different time zone. They operate in tomorrow. So you need to train yourself to do that. You begin with the end in mind. You ask yourself what you're really trying to accomplish. And again, get help at making it crystal clear and aligned. You have to think about uncertainty and risk in all of this. Analyze the cost of failing in this. Because failure can oftentimes actually be on the way to success. Sometimes it's flat failure. But you need to figure that out. At what point do I risk a reputation of someone else or myself? At what point is failure, can I actually make sure that failure is a part of succeeding? That's the goal if you can do it. And then, you know, you use judgment and curiosity, which we've already talked about, to help build your case for doing something or not doing it. And the world I'm living in now is an example, starting again at 3.30 this morning. This is an unprecedented opportunity for both large-scale failure that hangs a millstone around the necks of your generation and the next generation, and it's also an opportunity for large-scale success in some things like education reform, healthcare reform, certainly regulatory reform, and even and higher ed for sure. There are lots of opportunities right now, and so not all of them are possible. So my job at the State Policy Network is to pull leaders together to have these conversations. What's at stake both in opportunity and failure? What risks are we willing to take? How can we mitigate certain risks? If we have to make trade-offs, where are the ones that where, where are the trade-offs not going to work because they're principle-based? We're not going to do it. How do we talk about this? So it is not only as every day of my days are all consumed with our leaders on how to assess assess the COVID climate of health and the economy, but also things like the value of work. We have now created some policies that may make work less desirable for a whole bunch of people, and that is that is devastating on a culture. So how can we address this without seeming like we're tone deaf to the real deep challenges and fear and stress that families households have right now. So that's I mean that's the world we're living in. I'm gonna go back to Elon Musk and talk about what happened with SpaceX. It's now it's Starlink satellites now. It's moved into Starlink satellites. And he's because he's opportunity minded, he jumped into some things, but because he's also somewhat impulsive, he has some challenges to deal with now. Now all opportunities have challenges, so one has to just assess your ability to handle risk, and his was pretty high. He has a space jump problem. They didn't think about that enough to, you know, to uh, for the malfunctions that were going to happen in Starlink satellites. He has a competition issue. Being first to the market may sound exciting. But the person that's second to the market usually is able to work out some of the bugs. Not always, but it's a risk to be first to the market. And then there are some regulatory issues because some of his starlink satellites are obstructing the observation observation things that we do in this country in terms of monitoring space and looking at the galaxies and the stars. And so there's going to be a regulatory issue that he didn't anticipate in that realm. So all of us are going to face this. And we're not always going to succeed, but opportunity-minded people look at framing obstructions and constraints differently. They look at it as a gift, constraints being a gift. And they're, they think about, all right, we have these problems that are staring us in the face. How can I help create a solution to this problem? It could be a cultural issue, a spiritual issue, a product issue. How can I, leaders think, how can I, how can I create a solution, something to meet people's needs? So how might you build muscle for this? Well, it depends on where you are in your life on this, but you might craft a representation or model, I guess I would call it, for how you would get from where you are now to a desired, not just a desired outcome, but an optimum outcome, can you think of a problem that you might be uniquely qualified to solve? Or you think you, you think you might be, you don't know, but you want to test it. It's not enough just to say, I have an idea. You need a representation, a model of how you get from A to Z. You need a system structure. Who are the people you will need to influence or persuade? map the current internal or external capacity you have to what you're going to need to be successful. And this is true whether it's in a legislative office and you have constituents you have to, whose needs you have to meet, or whether you're building a product. It's the same thing. Who do you need to serve? Who do you need to affect or influence to serve those people? What are you going to need to do to make that happen and literally map it? So when people come to me with a big idea, I ask them a question. Give me the so what of that. Why should I care? And where's your map? Show me how you're gonna get from here to there. Unless we're just brainstorming the course, which but if they're gonna if they want to come with a product that has a price tag with it, a potential price tag or in time or or money, resources, things we can't do if we do this, I want a map. I want to see where how we're gonna get there. You might also look at a significant organizational failure and success. It might be a church. It could be a business. It could be a family, something that, that succeeded and something that failed. And analyze the primary and secondary causes if you can. How, where, did, where did it go off the rails or where did it create the rails and make it work? How did that organization or person, how did they make the choices they did and learn from this? Opportunity thinking is really about how to meet people's needs, whether it's a good time or a bad time. So the last one is self-management. This is actually quite powerful. And there are elements of this that I know I'll be working on the rest of my life just because of my nature and my temperament. Self-management really is broken into three parts, for this purpose anyway. I mean, people divide it differently, but I'll break it into three parts. Self awareness, resilience, and self control. And the whole point of this is to increase the beneficial mastery and influence on ourselves and the people we serve. So, if if you haven't studied the neurological functions of the brain and the chain reactions in our brain, I encourage you to do so. And I'll recommend a couple books before I get off here tonight. The fight or flight is real risk tolerance different differentials are real it all comes from our neurology quite frankly even those of us who say it's our emotional makeup it usually is neurological based it depends on what our brain remembers in long and short-term memory and the pathways the neurological pathways that we've built for those experiences whether we're grateful or have more of a critical spirit what what happens to our impulse control whether we're flexible or not all of that we, our neurological functions are a huge part of our life, and it's no accident that we have been and scripture talks about us controlling our thoughts and our minds and how to do it There's no accident to this. some things are neurological hard neurologically hardwired, other things are pathways that we can build and rebuild the, the plasticity of the brain is amazing now fear hijacks cognitive functions, plain and simple, hijacks them. So the old adage is count to 10 or count to whatever you were told before you lose your temper, before you make a decision. There's some merit there. It takes anywhere from four to seven seconds to go from the the base of our brain where we feel fear to the prefrontal cortex where we make a decision, where our judgment happens. And so nanoseconds, things happen in nanoseconds in there, but fear, or anger, we get hijacked, and our cognitive functions are eroded, and habits take over. So because we have a finite amount of willpower, and it becomes depleted as we use it, and because fear hijacks our cognitive functions and reverts us back to habit, we behave from habit. We need to form excellent habits. And if if that's something you're interested in, I would suggest the guy's a little bit crazy, but his research is solid as for more than a decade. It's BJ Fogg. He has a website and some material called Tiny Habits. And in the last six years, taking them through this tiny habits formation, it's been pretty powerful in my life and in their life. It's called the One Thing. Uh, I recommend you take a read on that. Hijack ourselves entirely, not only with fear, but with thinking we can multitask and understanding how our brain really functions when we're trying to focus. So form excellent habits. This is for mental, but for physical and personal health. And it certainly is true an emotional and social life. How might you do that? Well, Learn and practice how to think clearly under pressure. Experience. You do need to understand how your brain works to do this. And there's a lot of material out there now. There's another uh, author I recommend, Dr. David Rock. Excellent neuroscientist. Very good. So you'll understand how the brain actually works. And what happens with serotonin? What happens with adrenaline to our body? Cortisol. Where, what purpose does it serve and when do we need to focus it and get it out of our lives? Very powerful. Learn and practice how to think clearly when you're under pressure. Put yourself in situations. Don't run away from them. Put yourself in situations. See where you succeed and fail. Again, get some help. Most of us can't do any of this by ourselves. The other thing is, for those of you who say yes a lot, The power that comes in our lives when we learn to say yes to only the things that we have clearly identified, sweet spot, our commander's intent, the thing we were uniquely qualified to do, very powerful discipline. Learning when we should say no and why and when we should say yes and why. There's another really important one that will cause your road and your self-control to erode for sure. And that's identify the gaps in your life right now between the vision and purpose that you feel you have and where you actually are. And this will require building some new habits. We are miserable and there's an erosion that happens in our souls, in our our brain, in our ability to be an opportunity thinker and to have good emotional and social IQ when we are not operating in the zone we were meant to operate in. So if any of you are doing things that have that I mean, sometimes we all have to do stuff short term that we don't. It doesn't give us a lot of excitement or pleasure, but we're working towards something. If you're not working towards something concrete and you haven't yet been able to identify, I encourage you to get to work on that. That's a that's a powerhouse. That's that's like a flywheel effect, and it'll have exponentially higher value on everything else you're trying to do. Nurture an accountability system. Now I do this because. I'm not as self-aware as I ought to be. I will always have to work on this. There, we all have this stuff. Figure out your junk and start working on it. And it's not to focus on what doesn't work. A famous business coach said, uh, talk that we, said, we spend way too much time obsessing over what we don't do well instead of over making sure what we do well and what we're meant to do, we do excellently. And I just butchered his quote there. And I so I believe in that. Don't obsess over what you don't do well. But if there's something that's creating an inability to manage oneself, we need to deal with it. At some level, it has to be dealt with. We need to build habits that reinforce good behavior and that trigger the best in us, not the worst in us. And then there's deep work. I'm going to recommend this book. Again, it's right behind me, Cal Newport. Uh, Deep work. This will talk about the neurology of the brain. And how 90-minute periods of focus, more in your life than you can imagine possible. Because, again, how our brain works and our focus. We will get 10 to 100 times the result, depending on what we're working on and where we are in this learning process. We will get 10 to 100 times the result would otherwise if we learn to do deep work. So it's kind of like the domino effect. Seeing things go. You start seeing a pattern develop, something that you've constructed. And uh, the, details, the details of our civic future are not inevitable. Uh, our eschatology may be the same or may not be, I don't know. But the reality is, between here and there, we get to shape a lot of the problems and many of the outcomes along the way and bring a lot of people into a better space in life doing it. This is not easy work. I'll answer any more questions, and I guess I would just like to say, the one thing that keeps coming back to me is from the overflow of our hearts. That's where leaders speak. If we can get these things right and come to observation, we're going to be able to affect, serve, um, the the people we serve, we're going to be able to do a better job and be a better leader.
0: Lynn, thank you. Tremendous conversation. Really appreciate you taking your time and your evening to share with us and and invest in our our lives and hearts and minds and uh, just really appreciate it. Thank you so much and I know you've given us a ton of wonderful insight to explore, right? To really try the curiosity uh, side of this and and learn about deep work and the one thing which I really love that book and was so thrilled that you got the author out there uh, last fall and so many of these other wonderful reads. So thank you for kind of modeling what you're teaching us about with the curiosity, the learning, conviction, judgment, and more. Thanks for all of SPN's good work and and, and the way that it's blessing these students uh, in FORGE.
1: Well, it's my privilege, and I just encourage you to, you're never going to feel totally worthy or ready or anything. The reality is if we're willing and we're stewards of our time. God will use us in ways that we won't even see in our lifetimes sometimes, and other times it'll surprise us. But mostly we'll see it in the people around us who serve alongside us. And that, in and of itself, is one of the greatest blessings. So I just I pray that you'll all be uh, great leaders and help our country uh, and the, our communities turn a corner here. And thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you like the show, please drop a review and be sure to subscribe for all our latest episodes. You can follow Forge Leadership Network at Forge Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about Forge programming, please visit ForgeLeadership.org.